Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning that you would minister peace. You would minister to your people beyond the things that I have to say. Would you just do the work, Lord? In this atmosphere, in this place, I pray that you would do what only you can do in, your, in, your, in the spirit and the hearts of your people, God. Thank you that you supply each one according to their need. In the name of Jesus, we invite you. Come and do what you do best, Jesus. We fix our heart's affection on you. We glorify you. We love you. Thank you, Lord. All right, if you will, turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. So there's a lot that's on my heart this morning, but I want us to jump into Daniel chapter 6 here. We started something a couple weeks ago in the, in, the, in the book of Daniel. It's a series. And so we're just going to pick up where we left off. And if you will, just uh, read with me in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, or princes, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps, I'm just going to say princes, may give account to them so the king would suffer no loss. This Daniel distinguished himself above governors and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governor and princes sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I just want to stop there. So we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Um, Daniel is one of those heroes in the Word of God that we all should aspire to be. We looked at different, uh, we went through uh, 10 different R's uh, that describe Daniel. The first one was being rooted. The second one was being, uh, having restraint. The third one was walking in reward or divine favor. Um, Daniel had an excellent spirit within them. As he walked in restraint, he separated himself from the king's delicacies and the wine, and he practiced, uh, he honored the Lord, he feared God. He was, he, he was in Babylon, but the spirit of Babylon was not in him. And you and I are called to occupy and take land for, the, for Jesus. You and I are called to invade Babylon, but the thing is, God wants to get Babylon out of us. And so Daniel was in Babylon as a young Jewish boy, but Babylon was not in Daniel. And we see that God rewarded this with exceptional, extraordinary, divine favor. And it says of Daniel that he possessed ten times greater wisdom and gifts and the ability to interpret visions and dreams ten times better. He excelled than all of the magicians, than all of, all of the uh, astrologers of the whole realm. Right? This is in Daniel chapter 1. We read this and we looked at it about a month ago. Ten times better. Everyone say ten times better. You are called in the realm that God's sending you into, you're called to excel ten times greater than all of those around you. God's called the body of Christ to excel ten times greater. But in order to do that, we've got to get rooted. We've got to get founded in the Word of God 
And we've got to separate ourselves and consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Consecrate yourself to God, for tomorrow he will do great things among you. There's divine favor. There's honey of heaven. There's extraordinary, uh, um, the light of his face shining upon us. There's extraordinary uh, favor and influence, gifting, wisdom that God wants to bestow upon us. But it requires a people that walk in consecration. And we see this of Daniel. He possessed an extraordinary and excellent spirit within him. This should be our envy. God, make me like Daniel. Make me a faithful man. But what we see in verse 5 is that the men, what God puts on us is the honey of heaven flows upon us. It causes the envy. It causes the envy of the enemy. It causes a jealous spirit to rise up. And it causes the hatred of the one that hates our soul. It causes a holy jealousy for the world to acknowledge that there is a God, that Daniel's God is the true God, but it also inspires hatred from our enemy. And so we see here in verse 5, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law. Why? Because they were jealous because of the, the favor that was upon him, the excellent spirit that he possessed. So what does the enemy do? The antichrist spirit. It creates laws, it creates customs, it creates dictates to test you concerning the law of God. That same spirit within you, that's the Holy Spirit, invokes hatred of the enemy. In Psalms 2, what does it tell us? It says the rulers of the earth have have, uh, gathered together to consult and conspire against the Lord and his anointed. Let us cast off their bonds among us. Right? This is they, they, the rulers of the age gather against the God and and you. Let us let us cast off God's order and governance among us. How can we rebel against God? His response is that the Lord sits in heaven and he laughs. He laughs at the plans of the enemy. But then it goes on and it says, Woe to you, men of the earth, fear the Lord, kiss the son lest he become angry. You see the Lord who sits in heaven and laughs he's also moved with anger when we don't kiss the son you know what makes the lord angry more than anything else is his jealousy for his bride his jealousy for the nations of the earth kiss the son lest he become angry the lord gets angry he gets angry when we reject Jesus, when we reject the intimacy that he longs to bring us into. God is love, but he's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God, and he is moved with anger because he actually longs for us with holy jealousy. Um, Daniel chapter, uh, sorry, verse 6, the governors and the uh, princes, they thronged before the king and, they, and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. And all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and princes, the counselors, advisors, they all consult together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions against any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this decree. Sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So these governors and princes, they arouse the loyalty and the affection of the king so that they might conspire to entrap Daniel. You know how the enemy takes a hold of nations? It creates laws that oppose God. 
using fallen man, possessed by pride, inspired by uh, Satan's diabolical conspiracy. It creates laws and dictates that oppose God's law and that glorify himself. This is Babylon. Let us create a tower that reaches into the heavens. For if we are able to do so, nothing will be impossible for us. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. What's his response? Immediately, he goes home, goes to his upper room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Everyone say, the windows open. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and gave thanks to his God as was his custom since the early days. We talked about the power of routine. Daniel was a man of routine. Jesus was a man of routine. Every single hero that you find in God's word that walked in obedience and power was a person of routine. There is revelation. Daniel was a man of revelation. The central revelation of of God or the book of Daniel is that there is a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. It is that heaven rules. It is that God's kingdom remains sovereign over the nations. And that his kingdom is an advancing kingdom and it's the rock that is cut without human hands, the rock that is cut and that it collides with the kingdoms of this earth. There's a revelation in Daniel. There's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. But Daniel tapped into that revelation because he was a man of routine. Jesus constantly withdrew from the disciples to go into the mountain to pray. The power of routine is what paralyzes the power of the flesh in our life. Did you know that prayer paralyzes the flesh? It has no power against prayer because prayer is spiritual power. The place of prayer is the place of power. Jesus said, pray lest you fall into temptation. For the flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The power of Daniel was revealed in the secret that he walked with God in routine, praying three times a day. Daily he sought God. The secret to a successful walk with God is a secret walk with God. Babylon. Babylon is a prophetic depiction of Satan's rule and order in our world. We look at, we, we see, we can study da- uh, Babylon in the book of Daniel. We see the prophets warning that unless they turn back to God, they're going to be delivered into the, they're going to become captives and serve the kings of another nation. We see the, the prophets, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet warning Israel to turn back to God. We see Babylon is a prophetic illustration of the system and the empire of Satan in our world. We see it in the book of Revelation, this picture of, of Babylon being raised up. It's the order of Satan against the order and the laws of God. Babylon. There is a Babylonian system that has constructed itself in our world. There is a Babylonian system that has uh, risen up in this nation. And you and I, you and I are called to be Daniels in Babylon, to invade it and to serve wicked kings and to love people, but we will bow to no one. And as the music is played, you must bow to King Nebuchadnezzar as as his music is played and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
They said, we're going to serve the king, but we will not bow to him. God wants to bring, how many guys believe that God wants to bring revival and reform to America and the nations? Come on. But guess what? God's going to use unconventional means to do that. He's going to use Dan, a Daniel company to do that. A lot of people, you hear so many prophecies um, that we're like the Israelites and we're standing at the Red Sea and in a moment, God's going to change everything and he's going to open up the Red Sea and we're all going to cross through and he's going to deliver us, right? There's these prophecies. But hold up, don't get too excited yet. Okay, I heard the clapping. That's good. Praise the Lord. All of us want to be the Israelites passing through. But there's a problem with that is that to assume that we're Israel before the Red Sea and that we need to be delivered, it is, makes a strong assumption. And that's this. It assumes that we're under an oppressive system that God is judging that we're being delivered from. But I'd like to propose to you, it's not Egypt that God is judging. It's not Pharaoh. It's the body of Christ. I'd like to propose to you, God is not judging Pharaoh. He's judging the church by dis disciplining them. Why is that? Go back to Daniel 1.1. How did they get into Babylon? Whew, Daniel 1.1. I'm going to read it to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar came to the God's Israel and he besieged it. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Did you catch that? God stood on the side of Nebuchadnezzar and he delivered Israel into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. In this case, God was siding against Israel. God opposes the proud. He was, there's nothing more scary than to be opposed by the creator of the universe. It's, far, it's a far greater thing to be opposed by God than to be opposed by anything else. There's nothing, there's nothing worse. How would you like the creator of all the universe to be, I will oppose the proud. God opposes the proud. Lord, make us humble. Let us never carry a spirit of pride within our hearts because we never want to be opposed by our creator. Okay, our condition as a nation is closer to Je Jehoiakim, king of Judah, being delivered into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar than it is God's, uh, than it is us being delivered from the hands of Pharaoh. I'm going to explain this. Israel, it became captives to Babylon. Why is that? Because the spirit of Babylon was in Israel. Guys, the spirit of the age is in the church. The spirit of the world has captured and possessed our hearts. We are under the curse of Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those that call evil good and good evil. That they put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put the bitter for sweet and the sweet for bitter. Romans 6 says, you become the slaves of the one that you obey. We have become the slaves to the fear of man in the culture and the spirit of Babylon. We have bowed our knee as the body of Christ and we are being delivered into the hands of Babylon. What's our sin? We have become squatters. A squatter, do you know what that is? It's someone that they take territory someone else paid a price for without advancing it. 
And they sit on that territory. And they, they acquire and they are blessed by all the benefits and the inheritance, but they don't advance it. And they don't stand up, they don't fight, and they don't defend their children's children in the generation after them because they've bowed to fear. They've bowed to Babylon. And God is delivering us, you and I, the body of Christ, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God is not judging our government. He's judging us. Judgment begins in the house of God. How do we come out from divine discipline before it's too late? This is how. It's right here in Daniel. It says immediately, what did, what did Daniel do? God, he preserves a remnant. Even in Babylon, under judgment, there is always a remnant. There's always 7,000 that have not yet bowed their knees. There's a remnant. There's a Daniel company. He responds, he kneels down three times, and he prays to God, and he says, no, I'm not going to obey any order. It, should I obey you, or should I obey God? You decide. This is from Acts. Dan, what's it going to take before it's too late? Daniel-like defiance. I want to suggest to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a military move. It's a military move of compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion and he would stretch out his hands and he would heal. You see the masses. But do you know that compassion is also a military move that confronts hell and it confronts demonic lies and doctrines that have held people in bondage? It actually confronts demons and it is not sympathy. It pulls someone out. It does not keep them in. Compassion is heaven's military move, but it is a military move that is confronting demonic doctrines, lies, because if it is truth that sets us free, it's a lie that is holding us captive. So in Daniel 6, in verse 11, the men, so he prays, he defies the order because there's a higher court. There's a higher court that he's adhering to. He defies it. And he says, these, and it says, these men, they assembled, they found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke in concerning his decree have you not signed a decree that with every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you O king shall be cast into the den of lions the king answered and said the thing is true according to the law of medes and persians which does not alter so they they answered and said before the king that daniel who is one of the captives from D, from judah does not show due regard for you O king or for the decree that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. I have news for you this morning. When you take a stand, it will bring fire. You will be reviled. You will be brought before synagogues and before the councils, and you will be like a sheep among wolves, and you will be persecuted. Jesus promised this. Okay, how many of you guys have meditated on that? You will be persecuted for righteousness in your Bible promises book this morning. <clears throat> That's a promise from God. And Jesus, guess what? He said, if you're persecuted and men accuse you in my name, you're blessed. When we stand up for righteousness and we are reviled, Jesus says, I will bless you. There's a, a crown that is laid up in heaven for those that have given their lives. It's called the martyr's crown. There is a reward for you. You are blessed when men speak all kinds of accusations and lies. They, you will be reviled. 
I'm here to, to deliver a prophetic word. You are going to be reviled if you live for Jesus. This is not an easy life that he's called you to. You're not promised a good life. You're promised everlasting life. First Peter 4. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice in so much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of His name, you are blessed. The Spirit and the glory of God rest upon you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Pray, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those that do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those that suffer according to his will, they should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Revelation 2, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you might be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You are part of an eternal kingdom. That kingdom is advancing forcefully despite its resistance. The kingdom advances under that resistance, but you are living for the age to come, not this life. You're called to carry peace, but not as the world gives it. Jesus said, I have peace. My peace I live, leave with you, but not as the world gives it. Okay. Let's look at verse 16. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel. They cast him into the lion's den, but the king spoke, saying, Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought, laid at the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Verse 18, And then the king went to the palace, spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. His sleep went from him. And the king arose very early, went into haste into the den of lions, and he came to, to the den, and he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they did not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Also, king, I have done no wrong before you. When the fire comes of persecution, those flames reveal the Christ. Because in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, were the, they turned the fire up seven times hotter. In those flames, Christ, they saw a man, a fourth man in the fire, one that looked like the Son of Man. The flames of persecution reveal 
Jesus. It reveals the Son of Man. And in those flames comes the fire of revival and reformation. But it takes a church willing to pay the price because the advancing kingdom, it is built upon the blood of the martyrs. It is built upon those that are reviled for his name's sake and that count their lives, they love not their lives even unto the death. And upon that foundation, his kingdom will advance forcefully because the seed, unless the seed is sown and it dies, it cannot be multiplied. We see in verse 19, he's released. You're going to get released. You're going to be thrown into the fire in prisons. But you're going to be released. In this life or in the age to come, you will be released. Verse 24, the king gave the command and they brought those men that accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Their children, their wives, the lions overpowered them, broke their bones in pieces. They came ever to the bottom of the den. To all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before God of Daniel. He is the living God. He is steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion, it shall endure to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel, he prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What do we see? We see mass revival reformation in a nation. We see the same thing in Daniel chapter 3. This is a parallel. Freedom costs something. The advancing kingdom, it costs something. Ten of the twelve disciples, they were killed. One of them killed himself. John was, they tried to kill, but he was exiled. The church has been dead in this nation. God means to resurrect it. But no, the enemy always seeks to abort what God seeks to resurrect. Do you remember, uh, I felt like the Lord was speaking John 12 this morning. In John 12, we see, um, what do we see is, we see uh, Lazarus. Hey, let's just turn there. I don't want to mess it up here. Um. I'm just going to skip down to verse 9. A great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away, and they believed in Jesus. I just love this phrase, that Lazarus, the one that Jesus raised from the dead, was there reclining among them. But the Jews, they find out that Lazarus is among them, the one that Jesus raised, and they seek to kill him.
The enemy will always seek to abort what God resurrects. The gospel that you and I are called to bear, it is a gospel that is a gospel of confrontation. You know, it's funny because we as Christians, we avoid confrontation in every single way possible, oftentimes. I was just reading a post and it says, not to be confrontational, and it goes on and it explains this whole Bible passage. And it's just, I was ama- I'm amazed that we, in so many ways, we seek in any way that we can avoid to be confrontational. But I have news for you, is that the apostles, and I said this last week, when they came into a city in Acts 17, it says that the city trembled and they quaked and they feared them because they said, are not these the ones that turned the world upside down and they've come here also? Since when did you and I start tiptoeing so as to not step on the toes of demons? I believe that God is judging the church in this nation, you and I, the body of Christ, because of that which we have tolerated. And it is in Revelation, it says, you have tolerated that woman, Jezebel. You know what the cost of tolerating Jezebel is in Revelation uh, chapter 2? It's the cost of tolerating Jezebel is that Jezebel, is that God strikes her children dead. The cost of tolerating Jezebel is the next generation behind us. It's, we lose the generations. We lose our children. Because when you and I put up with the spirit of Jezebel, Jezebel takes our kids. The, cost, the gospel, it confronts Jezebel. It confronts the lies. It confronts powers, principalities, forces of dark, darkness in high places. What does that mean? The lies of the enemy, the doctrines of demons, philosophies that he has infiltrated culture with, Those are those things that you and I, the body of Christ, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against those powers and those lies. Anything that uh, sets itself up against God, we have been given divine weapons to demolish spiritual strongholds. Every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The gospel, it confronts the enemy's lies, establishes Christ's authority in order to destroy the works of the enemy, in order to save and rescue souls, in order to make disciples. You and I are called to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. Um, We looked at this last week in Acts 2. What does Peter call for? He says, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. We see the opposite in the message of Peter that we see in the church today. See, the church today, the message is that Jesus, he accepts and affirms you as you are. He actually calls us to come to him. Those that are heavy, uh, laden with sin, come as you are and deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He actually calls you to come and deny yourself. The gospel that's being preached today is that is to express yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. It's a direct confrontation. Uh, I love Bill Bennett. His, the motto of his church is, come as you are, go as he is. 
See, his, the love of God calls us to, to actually, uh, it calls us to himself so that we might be transformed by that love, never the same. We're changed. I, I, this week I kept hearing this phrase in my spirit, it's changed by love. I believe that that's what God's speaking right now, is you're changed by love. The enemy, it hates God's love, but it hates more when we're changed by it. Condemnation, it says that you are your sin. Conviction says, come to me all that are heavy laden with sin. And Jesus says, you see that, that's not who you are. Leave that behind. And come to me, and I, I will love you with an everlasting, I love you with an everlasting love. I have compassion for you. It's because of his mercy that we are not consumed. Jesus says, I will fight for you, I will break your chains, come away with me. You guys okay? He does love you, but what I'm trying to communicate to you is that he actually calls us to death. That's what I'm trying to say. Because he loves you with an everlasting love and that grace beckons you. But there is a place in, in that he calls us even deeper. And that's what I'm trying to communicate is there is a place where grace beckons you and you can live in that place. And some of you, uh, we can come into that grace and you can, you can live a certain way and still make it to heaven. Yes, that's true in some ways, potentially. But you're playing with fire. There's a place where grace beckons you. But what we're calling and what Matt is preaching in three weeks ago, it's a place beyond where grace beckons us, and it's into a place of fire. And that's what we're calling this community into. We're saying, yes, there is a place of grace, but we're calling you into a place of fire because we want to see an army raised up dressed for battle in the city. And so we're calling you, let's ask the Lord for holy fire to be baptized with. Let's press into God. Let's go for the more. Because there's a crown that's waiting for us. Five different crowns. We can talk about that another time. Um, okay. trembling right now this is a this was not an easy word to give for Jacob but it's right on the money and I want to I want to bring some perspective in I feel like the Lord was saying to me he was speaking to me out of Isaiah chapter 39 verse 5 through 8 We've been talking about the generations. It's been in our scope for a while now, and we felt the Lord speaking to us about it, and I felt like this message was about the generations to come. So Isaiah 39, chapter 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. And nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons 
who will descend from you, who will beget, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said, Isaiah, he said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken, is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now this is not, this is not a condemnation word. Do you understand? God's got, he's got plans. We know that he's got plans for the generations, for our children's children. But here's the thing. The enemy's got plans also. Hezekiah had breakthrough with the Lord. Hezekiah actually knew how to pray. But he lost the father's heart. And in turn, he ended up turning over a whole generation of people to the spirit of the age. This message right here was a sword in the ground. These kind of messages right here need to break something open so that we can actually see the reality of what's trying to invade us. We know what God's plans are, but this is a sobering moment where you know the cost, and it's our children's children. So I just wanted to release that. Lord, I pray that we never in your church lose your heart. Like Hezekiah lost his heart. He lost your heart in that moment. We will, Father, I thank you for never, never giving us a resolve to never turn our children over to the spirit of this age. And I pray that you, you show us who we are more than you ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> How you guys feeling? Let's have the ministry team come on up. I'm going to release you. Ministry team, come on up. <laughs> yeah. If you will, just stand up. Lord, I thank you that you love your people so much. But I thank you that that love is a fire that is jealous for us. And I thank you that you're calling us deeper, even deeper still. And Lord, we say, examine our hearts as the body of Christ. And we say, and I pray, Acts 4, now Lord, would you look upon their threats and would you grant to your servants boldness that they might speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders might be done through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So, Lord, we ask you for fire, not so that we can have goosebumps, but so that the truth might be loosed through our lips to confront demonic doctrines powers, principalities, forces of darkness in high places, to rescue souls from the abyss, and to, to set free, Father, generations, our children's children. We will stand. We will fight. So, Lord, let this place be shaken. We're tired of playing church. We're tired of being on Sesame Street. We're ready for Azusa Street. Come on. <laughs> 
Lord, deliver us from the way things have been. You are birthing something new, a New Testament body of Christ, an Acts church filled with boldness. Lord, turn this city upside down. We are not a safe people. We are a dangerous people. We're a dangerous breed. We will walk with holy fire. We will walk with boldness and truth. We will walk in the power of God with accompanying signs and wonders. We give our lives to this. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hands and say, God, I give my life to this. I need fresh fire. I need boldness. Give me the spirit of Elijah. Turn the hearts of fathers to the sons, sons to the fathers. Lord, let the spirit of Elijah confront the, the false prophets of Baal. We're standing in a Mount Carmel moment, calling for the fire of God. God, come and deliver us from the spirit of Babylon in our own hearts. Lord, we forgive for turning to the government and saying you're judging them when in actuality you're judging us. You're using the, you're using the situation, the circumstance that we're in as, a, as clay in the potter's hand. And in Jeremiah, the potter is making something, and then he stops and he starts making something else. And he says, is this not Israel in my hand? Can I not do with the clay that which pleases me? We are the clay in the potter's hand. So, Father, form us. And we say that we'll stand fast under fiery trial. And we won't consider it something strange that we're undergoing. We trust ourselves to the Creator. But we say enough is enough. We say, God, we want to be those that walk in holy fire. Spirit of prophecy. Boldness. The fear of the Lord. So we dare to ask. We dare to ask today. God, give us the fear of the Lord. We want it. We want it. We need it. We need it. Because those that walk in the fear of the Lord, He reveals His secrets. We dare to ask for that because we want to press in. We want to go beyond the place where grace beckons us into the place of fire and glory and the holy of holies. We want to go, we want to go deeper, God. We know that there's more. We know that nations are going to be shaken. We know that we're living in a time everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So we bow low. We lay down our crown. We humble ourselves. We become the sacrifice. Raise up your people in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.